This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Martha McCallum, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, August 5th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The Federal Reserve has said solid jobs numbers should mean no recession. But as the economy shows some signs of cooling, could the Fed put us into one? Well, first of all, in terms of the term recession, you can go back and forth about it. But like in my mind, I think it's safe to say that we're not in a good place. I'm Chris Foster. Going to see live music, the big acts especially, more expensive than ever. It's always been supply and demand. But we are in an age where so many people have been craving live entertainment post-pandemic. The straight-up ability of companies like Ticketmaster being just being able to do it. People will pay it. And I'm Will Kane, and I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Recession or not, the job market's been hot. And that's one reason the Federal Reserve chairman has said we are not in one. But there are some signs the labor market is cooling. Remember all those help-wanted signs? They're still there, but there may be fewer of them. The Bureau of Labor Statistics said there were 10.7 million job openings in June. That's 600,000 fewer jobs than in May. It's still quite high. And even with inflation, 4.2 million people quit their jobs in June. As we pay hundreds of extra dollars a month for gas and food and the debate rages over whether or not we're in a recession, the Fed keeps hiking interest rates with no apparent plans to lay off using that tool. If you look at financial markets, some financial markets are indicating that they expect us to cut interest rates next year. Uh, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it seems like that's a very unlikely scenario right now, given what I know about the underlying inflation dynamics. A more likely scenario is we would continue raising and then we would sit there until we have a lot of confidence that inflation is well on its way back down to 2% before we would start to cut. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari at the Journal of Financial Regulation Conference was asked recently if a soft landing for the economy was likely. You know, I think it's, uh, I think it's possible, but I don't know how likely it is. And, you know, we'll do everything we can to try to achieve it, but we have to get inflation back down. Kashkari said while he's concerned that inflation is actually driving wages up, which could embed higher prices into the economy, he also sees data showing inflation falling, in his words, quite rapidly in the next few years. Meanwhile, after June's jobs numbers came out, unemployment in the U.S. sat around 3.6 percent. You mentioned Jerome Powell. He's trying to strike a pretty delicate balance, you would say, to generate a soft landing for the economy. John Hilsenrath is a senior writer at The Wall Street Journal. What he wants to do is raise interest rates just enough to slow down demand, consumer spending just enough so that companies aren't fighting over workers and the job market isn't so hot. But he doesn't want to cut demand so much that the economy becomes so weak that companies don't need the workers that they've already got. And that's not an easy thing to do. You know, generally when we've seen the Fed go through these tightening cycles, by that I mean raising interest rates, when unemployment starts rising, if it does, it tends to go up in jumps and not in in gradual steps. Ah. 
So uh, the, the risk here is that the Fed's going to overdo it or that it has to overdo it to get inflation down. I mean, there's there's no question that the economy is cooling down. We're also starting to see some of this cool down happening in the labor market. We, we've seen people who file for unemployment benefits. It, it reached historically low levels back in April. And it's right. very quietly, gradually creeping up. And, and we've seen companies reporting uh, layoffs. A, a number of tech companies and, and now Walmart, which is one of the country's biggest employers. Oh. So, you know, we're, we're seeing some signs that the economy is definitely slowing down. And the question is just how far is this going to go? So, so, John, if job gains are, are solid or better today, I'm reading that that would be bad for Wall Street because it would mean the Fed would still be planning more rate hikes. And good jobs numbers mean more cooling off would be needed, kind of to your point. Wall Street has all of these kind of crazy catchphrases. <laughs> like one of the things they like to say is, oh, well, bad news is good news, right? right. So, so sometimes they're gleeful when they see the job market getting weaker because they tell themselves, well, so now the Fed doesn't have to raise interest rates as much. But that impacts and, my 401k and my IRA, right? If, if Wall Street's not yeah, doing well. Yeah, that, that, that could help. But, you know, it's hard to be too gleeful about seeing people lose their jobs. Uh, right. and, and frankly, I think, you know, Wall Street tends to boil things down in, in ways that are, like, in my mind, really facile and kind of don't get the how complicated the world is. So... You know, how would the market react if the unemployment rate stayed low, but labor force participation picked up, meaning more people came into right. the labor market? Or if the unemployment rate stayed low, but, you know, wages held steady? You know, th- th- there, there are different scenarios that could be read as a good report or a bad report. Fr- frankly, like, I think when I look at the jobs report, I, I just, you know, I, I just want to see how fast the labor market is slowing down or weakening. But what I think what really, really matters in terms of American households is inflation. It, like it really all comes down to inflation right now, because the problem with the job market is that a lot of people have jobs, but their paychecks aren't covering exactly. all the bills. Exactly. Right. Because prices are going up so much. You know, all right, great. I have a job. I'm, I'm bringing home a thousand dollars a week and it, it costs me twelve hundred dollars a week to pay for the gas and the food and the rent. So we really have to see the inflation coming down. And then the other piece of this is that once inflation starts slowing down, then the pressure comes off the Fed on raising interest rates. And then the market, I think, really can take off. Well, to that point, the president of the Fed in Minneapolis, right, Neil Kashkari, said he was surprised at you know, market expectations that the Fed is going to be dialing back rates anytime soon. And I'm reading this quote from him. He said, the committee's united in our determination to get inflation back down to 2%. I think we're going to continue to do what we need to do until we are convinced that inflation is well on its way back down to 2%. And we are a long way from that. He even referenced rate hikes next year. What, what timeline are we on? That's a great question in terms of what timeline are we on? Because... You know, the, the, the Fed's objective is 2% inflation. And, you know, depending on what measure you look at, it's anywhere between 6 and more than 9% right now. So we're a long way from that level. But, you know, there's this question of, all right, so let, let's say inflation starts slowing down. They've got to have this question about, all right, how, how fast do we want to 
bring this plane to the ground. And and then, you know, the, the risk they run, uh, and I think it's a really serious risk, is that they overdo it. That, you know, they say, well, inflation isn't at 2% and we're just going to keep raising rates until they get there. And they might end up overshooting with rates too high in the same ways that they overshot with rates too low. So, like, one of the well, problems right now is that the Fed's policies are kind of lurching back and forth to try to get back to some kind of equilibrium. Well, and to that point, though, John, is there a lag time, right? Like, if they say, oh, whoa, we overdid it, and we see the consequences of that, uh, if they immediately said, okay, at our next meeting, we're going to drop rates back down to, you know, X, Y, and Z, does that correction happen relatively quickly? I mean, you're talking well, about this I mean, balance. They're, they're, there are all kinds of lags which make this a really hard thing to do. You know, I I, I don't envy Jay Powell. I, he doesn't have an easy job. And I think a lot of people chirping from the sideline chirp at him as if, like, what he's doing is obvious or easy, but it's not. So the Fed has been raising interest rates in the last six months. It might be another six to nine months before the full effects of those rates go into effect. You know, there are also lags in how long it's taken companies to get their supply chains working again, you know, two years after COVID. And th there are lags in how long it takes the Fed to realize that a change is going on in the economy. And there are lags in how long it takes the Fed to change gears. You know, one of the problems that they had after the pandemic was, you know, we had a terrible crisis. They pushed interest rates to zero. They engaged all of these programs that they used after the financial crisis. But then it took them like six to nine months to turn their policy around because they had internal debates and they didn't want to confuse right. or surprise the markets. Um, I think I think one of the lessons of the last couple of years is you don't want to be locked in uh, to some policy that might prove to be um, out of date very quickly. Well, if we're not in a recession right now, I know last week was filled with a lot of debate over that, the technicalities, two consecutive quarters of negative growth. If, yeah. if we're not in one right now, after four rate hikes already and one probably coming in September, what's your sense? Will we be in one that, that does not require a debate? It will just be obvious. And what does that look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, in terms of the term recession, you can go back and forth about it. But like in my mind, I think it's safe to say that we're not in a good place. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think people can understand that. Like recession is this kind of technical word people debate about. But we're not in a good place. Inflation is too high and the economy is slowing down and the markets are volatile and it's hard to navigate. In terms of, you know, is it going to be worse? Uh, is it going to be something that everyone agrees is a recession with unemployment rising? I really think it all comes down to what happens to inflation over the next eight to ten weeks. And, you know, this is an area where like there are a lot of things that are out of the Fed's control. So, you know, American multinationals, they built these global supply chains that were supposed to be so efficient and brought all these inexpensive goods to America. Well, they broke down during and after COVID. Are they going to fix them? Are these kind of uh, Ivy League MBAs uh, in these boardrooms and executive suites going to be able to fix the <laughs> supply chains that they built and broke? Um, you know, is Vladimir Putin going to keep tightening the screws on Europe? That's a really big factor because Europe is in a mad scramble right now for energy supplies uh, going into its winter. And if Putin keeps tightening those screws, then that 
could, and we've seen natural gas prices start to rise again. Uh, so, John, why, why, then are, why then are gas prices coming down? What's what's your sense of that? Because we are seeing what's happening in Europe, and they are planning. I mean, the, the European Union is is planning to, like you just said, reduce natural gas. They're asking every member country to reduce their natural gas usage. If 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 we're heading into that, and we already know that's coming, we already know this what the situation is. Wh- yeah. Why are gas prices coming down? Well, you know, like miracle of miracles, market forces are at work and they're doing what they're supposed to do. Right. So, in fact, uh, the United States is pumping out and exporting more natural gas than it's ever done so before. Uh, Consumers are looking at high gasoline prices and they've been cutting back on how much they travel. Um higher interest rates uh, and higher inflation has kind of led people to say, well, there could be a recession, so there's some pullback in demand. And, and all these things are like creating the kind of adjustments that are supposed to happen in a market-oriented economy. Hmm. So um, energy prices have been coming down because supply outside of Russia is rising. Got it. And uh, because demand is responding to the higher price. That's the way a market economy is supposed to work. All right. Eight to 10 weeks. I'll call you after Russia. Yeah, we'll talk some more. Yeah. <laughs> All right. John Hilsenrath, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This is Will Kane with your Fox News commentary coming up. Although he admits he's never done a hard day's work in his life and made up all those stories in his songs, Bruce Springsteen's considered a man of the people, a blue-collar hero. Some of his blue-collar fans are mad about what the boss is getting for tickets to next year's U.S. tour with the E Street Band. Hundreds of dollars for the cheapest seats, thousands for the best ones. Not just Springsteen tickets costing more these days, according to the music industry trade publication Polestar. Tickets to the top 100 tours are up 20% on average compared to 2019 pre-pandemic. Part of it is face prices in real time fluctuating with demand. It's always been supply and demand, but we are in an age where so many people have been craving live entertainment post-pandemic. Laura Engels, a Fox News Channel senior correspondent based in New York. The straight up ability of companies like Ticketmaster being just being able to do it. People will pay it. They've learned that. And they, you know, a lot of people say, oh, but the artists, you know, the, the artists say, but we're about the fans and that's what we care about. But many people will argue that they are in on it in a sense of that they know what's happening. And I was thinking about it before we talked. It's like, OK, so if I wanted to sell my house, I wouldn't sell it for a lower price to be a nice guy. Even though, I, you know, you would want to do that, you want to sell it to make the most profit that you can. And that's kind of what we're seeing. I mean, look, Bruce Springsteen, if he absolutely wanted to, not to pick on Bruce Springsteen, but that's what why people are talking about this right now. He could say all tickets to all shows are 20 bucks if he wanted to. 
Right. And then and and then Ticketmaster could still get their cut in convenience fees, which we'll get into. Um, so the artists are a little culpable, not that they shouldn't get everything they, to your point, not that they shouldn't get everything they can get. Right. Well, you know, and then you've got people like Garth Brooks. I mean, Garth Brooks is one example who does what he can to bring the ticket price down for his fans and will sit in a in a location and play as many shows as possible to, you know, until every seat, instead of it having to be this massive sellout for one show or two, he'll stick around and do multiple shows so that the ticket price can go down. That's like kind of an oddball example, but a nice guy and, and great effort on his part. Um, but it's it's just about the supply and demand, as we said, but when you go online, what's happening now with this, the, the whole thing is about dynamic pricing, right? We keep hearing about that. What does that mean? It's a, it's a fluctuating price. And it means when people log on and you go, oh, cool. Oh, great. Look, I've got some decency. It's okay. It's about 130 bucks. And by the time they put in their credit card and they get all their stuff ready and they go to hit buy, it's gone up because so many other people have gone on to Ticketmaster to look for their tickets. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about art and entertainment and whatever. But again, if we're if, if you're going to allow a free market economy, I don't really know the answer here in terms of, you know, why anybody should complain about it. Nobody, people are still going to shows. People are going to people are complaining, but they're still paying the prices. Right. And, you know, it is it is the food chain of the music business. Right. And you want to as a fan, um, you want to trust. You know, when I when I read that an artist that I love says, look, we're doing this for the fans. We're going to do everything we can to make this you know, financially viable for you. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. I want to trust the man or the woman behind the curtain. I want to trust that person. But behind that curtain, they are in on it for the most part. They know what's going on. They know that people are going to buy these tickets. And I, I spoke to a couple of friends of mine in the music industry. As you know, I've used to work in the music industry um, in a couple of different areas. And when I talked to my buddies and the record deals uh, that they do, uh, they said, look, they said they have the will to do it. They want the money and there's just not a lot that they can do about it right now. That's just, it's just kind of the way it is. Something else that I suspect is going on here. Back in the day, you would put out a record and that's where you made your money if you had a decent deal mm -hmm. and you would tour to support the record. That's what they called it. We're touring to support this album. So mm -hmm. you'd get people to promote the album. Now, I wonder if it's exactly the opposite where you put out new music unless you're a legacy act, to get people to come to the show. Because with streaming, you're not getting as much money off your actual new music anymore. And so you need to make your nut off ticket prices now. So what we what I find out is that when I want to go and I want to pull a song for something that I do for Fox News Radio and Sirius XM, I, mean, I just plug it in and it, I get it for free for the most part. I mean, a lot of the music is, is so much more accessible these days. I mean, I used to work at Tower Records in Sacramento and, you know, we I remember the days when a record came out and we had lines around the building to get that new Def Leppard record or whatever it was. Um, but nowadays, obviously, the world has changed dramatically. Um, and now you want to go see that live act. You want to get closer. You don't want to be watching it on the big screen all the way from the back. Um, and that's where people will get you. And you'll talk to fans and there's there's a whole bunch of clips out there of, of fans that are just absolutely outraged. And what am I supposed to do? And is is music venue, are music venues now just for the rich and elite? Uh, that's what I was going to say is that I was talking to my friends in the music industry and I said, who are buying the tickets for $5,000? 
$1,000. Who who are they? Who are these people? And one of my friends who works in the music record industry said that when he was at this label, they would say, buy as many as you can, do whatever you can to make the deal. It's a sales deal. So you're giving it to your clients. It's the tech industry. It's, you know, people are buying those tickets to give to their people um, or even to scalp them themselves. Yeah. So it's not necessarily mega fans that are spending $5,000 to go see that show. Right. It's corp- It's other big companies that are using them for whatever purpose they want to use them for. Right. Part of the, I think, resentment about this isn't, people might say, okay, look, my favorite artist deserves every penny they can make. But what I don't like, what I'm speaking as a ticket, a theoretical ticket buyer, is that uh, whatever, say the ticket's 200 bucks, and now suddenly 60 bucks is going to Ticketmaster- right. Who does nothing for me. Right. And, and it's not like back in the day when you could go to a Tower Records mm-hmm. or go to the venue mm-hmm. and go to the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, before, you were what you were paying was literally for convenience. Now, that convenience fee is essentially mandatory. It is mandatory. There's And there's nothing you can do about it. And if you go through uh, a scalper, forget it, you're still paying it. You know, and I there, there's a lot of these websites where you can buy tickets day of show if you really want to go that route. In fact, there was a cameraman here um, that still works here and he used to work here in New York and we always used to talk about it and I'd say, how did you, he would post a picture. I'm like, how did you get to go to that show? He's like, I waited till the last second. You know, I waited till I got off work. I went by myself. You know, it was no skin off me if I wasn't going to, you know, make the show that day. It was like, if I can afford to go, I'm going to go and he got a ticket for a good price. So there are different ways of getting into a venue but you're right. I mean, those those service charges, I mean, there was one story that I saw that the service charge was more than the actual price of a seat. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Even if you get a, 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 something like day of something where there are tickets available so you can get a ticket for five or 10 or 20 bucks, you're still paying way more than that in the convenience fees. And what we're talking about here is essentially a monopoly, right? Ticketmaster yeah, yeah. and Live Nation merged in 2010. They just became a monster. Right. With, <laughs> just a huge um, money-taking monster. And there were Justice Department conditions to sort of alleviate the feared monopoly aspect of it that they're, to some accounts, just basically ignoring. Right. And they have a monopoly on the venues. If I open Chris Foster Arena, I'm not going to be able to book anybody decent or big without playing ball with this one behemoth. First of all, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> great name. Uh, but you're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, there's the story of Pearl Jam. Uh, and people, if you're, you know, <laughs> if you're Pearl Jam and you're having problems f- playing a venue that's outside of the Ticketmaster arena in that world. They tried uh, to in the 90s, right? They, like, tw- like 20, almost 20 years ago. They tried, right. to, they tried to fight the man and say, no, what? We're not we're not going to play ball here. We're yeah. going gonna to set up our own system. Right. And they tried playing, you know, ski lodges and country <laughs> fairs and the, you know, and it was out of the way and it was, it just ended up being too hard. So the point is, is that if you are Pearl Jam in the nineties and you have a hard time doing it, guess what? You're just, you're just kind of stuck really. Right. I would think that this could be one of those issues in Congress that's so pro-consumer that you could come out and say, I am against these high ticket prices and here's what we should do about it and write a bill. Right. Um, I don't know what there is to do about it. Is there anyone even attempting it? You know, in terms of, I, I think that it's being looked at on a, on a continual basis because these cries are getting louder because people are getting more and more frustrated and they're angry and they're confused. They're like, why, why is my favorite beloved artist doing this to me. That's what it can feel like. And as these ticket prices go up and as the headlines continue to come out, 
um, and that are so egregious. Um, you know, there are people saying we've got to figure out a way to, to get around this. But so far, I mean, there are state lawmakers that are into this. And, and you mentioned Congress. Uh, people are looking into it. But so far, there's just not been a solution. But I do like the idea of the Chris Foster arena. I think <laughs> you should do that. <laughs> you get you get comped. Do I get VIP? You do. <laughs> uh, Fox News Channel correspondent Laura Engel, uh, former rock and roll chick, still rock and roll chick in her heart. Laura, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on the rundown. All right. Thanks, Chris. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. It's always said that dogs are man's best friend. Well, don't tell that to Bandit the cat. Bandit is a 20-pound calico cat who lives with her retired owner, Fred Everett, in Belden, a suburb of Tupelo, Mississippi. Fred adopted her four years ago from the Tupelo Lee Humane Society. He says Bandit helped prevent a robbery at his home, and he thinks she saved his life. Recently, would-be burglars tried to break into Fred's home early one morning while he was asleep. He was awakened by Bandit's meows, but when he didn't respond, Bandit jumped into action, racing into the bedroom, jumping on the bed, pulling the comforter off, and clawing at Fred's arms. He got up to investigate, and that's when he saw two young men outside his back door, one with a handgun, the other using a crowbar to try and pry the door open. Fred says by the time he got his handgun, the two men were gone. He told the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, You hear of guard dogs? This is a guard cat. Fred says without Bandit, the situation could have turned out differently. He said it did not turn into a confrontational situation, thank goodness, but I think it's only because of the cat. Good looking out, Bandit. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Will Kane. What's on your mind? Nine and a half years. WNBA star Brittany Griner has been sentenced to nine and a half years on drug charges in Russia. Griner, not unlike many superstar athletes in the United States of America, in the past has had harsh words for the United States of America, knelt during the national anthem, and criticized our justice system. Nine and a half years is obviously harsh for drug charges. When you are in another country, you need to obviously observe the laws of that country. But what this should also be is a moment to highlight to show the way for the American athlete on the historical anomaly that is the American justice system. Most of the world throughout history has worked like Russia with no real concern for due process, habeas corpus. Most of the individual rights enshrined in the United States Constitution. No, the United States of America stands out as a historical anomaly, a global Anomaly, not one that should be at the center of criticism for Brittany Griner and LeBron James, who said as Griner was being detained in Russia, maybe she wouldn't want to come back to America because America didn't have her back. That type of ignorance, albeit 
famous ignorance, is exactly the wrong takeaway from watching Griner being held for nine and a half years on minor drug charges. Maybe this is a moment for the American athlete to understand the unique jewel that is the American justice system. The only reason you're held in long periods of time without due process in America is if you trespass on the United States Capitol on January 6th. Otherwise, this justice system is the envy of the world. For more of this, download, rate, review, and subscribe to the Will Kane Podcast at Apple, Spotify, or Fox News Podcast. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.